0: This morning, we're going to continue in John's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to begin reading with verse 14 this morning. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. And as you find your place, I hope you've had an opportunity to spend some time reading your Bible and looking over John's Gospel, especially chapter 1. Chapter 1 is an introduction. John introduces Jesus Christ. And he covers the entire chapter. What he does and how he does it is very interesting. John talks about Jesus in a third person. He is talking to you and I about his time spent With Jesus as an apostle. So that's very interesting. And it's a very good introduction to who Jesus Christ is. So beginning this morning, verse 14, John chapter 1, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him. And cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. No man hath seen God at any time the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So as we think about those those verses in that passage this morning, I want to begin this message by giving you a definition of a word. The word is experience. Now when I say the word experience, or you hear the word experience, a lot of different things pop into your mind. We think of work experience. We think of what we've been accustomed to or what we have been in the presence of all through life as children, young adults, whatever it may be. But Webster's Dictionary tells us that experience, among other things, is observation of a fact or the same facts or events happening under like circumstances. The observation of a fact. It is something that we see ourselves, Not just see it, but something that draws our attention to it and something that has an impact in our life. The fact that we're looking at this morning and that we've been looking at over the past few weeks is that of Jesus Christ coming into a world that is infected with sin. Now, that doesn't say that it's infected with people, with sinners. We all are sinners. Not necessarily because of our actions, but because of just who we are. We are born that way. We're not sinners because of the sin we commit. We commit the sin we do because we are first sinners. And that includes every one of us. It does not matter. It doesn't matter whether you were raised in church and you spent every day, every moment, every time the doors were open you were in church. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've never darkened a church door. One person is no more or less a sinner than the other. The Pope himself is just as great a sinner as I am and vice versa. That's just the way it is. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden back generations ago, we inherit that sin nature. So when we think about, and we often do, we think about, I'm too bad to do this, I've done something that would keep me from being in church, I've done, I've done, and and I'll be honest, there are people today who sit in churches and they can be very judgmental. That's one problem that churches have. People have a tendency to forget where they come from. They get saved, they, they're on fire for God, they find themselves in a church and they start serving God and they start attending church and then before they know it, they have forgotten where they came from. That is another indication of a sin nature. It just is. Instead of letting those folks keep us pushed away, we ought to be looking beyond them and looking to the Christ who saved us. Looking to the Christ that John is speaking of. And moving forward in that experience. In that experience of that relationship with him. By experience, the observation of the born again, by the event of salvation and the promise of eternal life, that is how we know that we are Christ. That is how we know that we have that relationship because we have had that personal experience. Said another way, we know how divine love found, and we know divine love that's been found in experience. Salvation is divine love. It is God's love to each one of us in that he did not ignore us. He did not neglect us. God did not throw us away and cast us away because of our sin nature. He loved us enough for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the love of God spoken, but experienced through Christ. So I want to share this morning with you four examples of this divine experience. And when you hear them, you will either know that you have experienced them, or you will know that you need to experience them. So as we begin this morning, notice with me first that divine love is experienced through Jesus' incarnation. Now if you remember the previous messages, we saw how a person must believe, then receive, before they can become the sons of God, or the children of God. Preceding these three things though is the incarnation. Jesus wasn't just born. He came incarnate. You see, Jesus existed before he was ever born. You and I, when our parents, when our mother gave birth to us, that's when we existed, when we were conceived. That was the beginning of our existence. Then we grew and we, our moms gave birth to us and there we were. But unlike you and I, Jesus existed totally in eternity before he ever came to earth as a person. Jesus took on human flesh with a human body, and he also came as 100% God. So Jesus was both. He was 100% man in the flesh and bone, and he was 100% God at the same time. No other person in history has ever came and has ever existed that way. And no other person ever will come again and will exist that way. Only Jesus. That's why you hear preachers and and, and people who teach the Bible speak of the incarnate birth of Christ at Christmas especially. It's something that is that interesting. It's something that is that necessary that we understand. Jesus was God incarnate in a human body. Well, why is it so important? To truly believe in Jesus, we must know exactly who he is along with how and why he came to dwell among men. Christ was when He came incarnate. We may not understand that logically, yet if we believe it by faith, that is all that God requires of us. As a matter of fact, in all reality, there is no way that we can logically put together the person of Jesus Christ. We can read in our Bible, read of the miracles that He performed, We can read of the lives that he brought back from the dead. We can read of the feeding and the ministry and the healing and all of that that he done. And we can look in in awe and we can say, Oh my, what a work. What a person. But we can't understand it. Even if we saw it, we have record in our scripture. The people who actually saw it happen, they didn't understand it. Because it has been said many times over in the Bible, Who is this man that can do these things? Who is he? They didn't understand. And because they didn't understand, some of them could not believe in him because they were looking for a logical understanding. Those who could understand by faith, they are the ones who found Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Today, I want to encourage you. Find Jesus by faith. Find Him by faith. We have many people today who will not come to church. They will not consider listening to the gospel because they can't make a logical connection between it and life. And it's so sad to watch those people because they're they're very intelligent. But they're wanting. They're needing some. They're needing Christ, but they don't have that faith to believe in what they see, to receive what they hear, and to become the person that God has created them to become. The incarnate Christ is a teaching. It is a a teaching method. It is something right from the very beginning with Jesus. We have to be able to grasp by, by faith. So I ask you this morning, consider yourself in your life? Have you believed truly the incarnate of Christ? Can you accept Jesus by faith today? If you can, then you can move on and understand that divine love is experienced through Jesus' identification. John the Baptist was identified with Jesus. He was identified And he identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew this from the get-go. He knew it right out of the gate because he had been prepared from where he was at in the wilderness. He had been prepared from the very beginning to be preaching that message, to be preparing people to receive Jesus when he came. John the Baptist brought, came in, and he had a following of people called John's disciples. They followed John the Baptist everywhere. But as Jesus was introduced, John's disciples began breaking away and following Jesus. That didn't make John angry. That didn't make John jealous. John knew that that's what his job was. He knew that his job was to identify Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and to point people to follow Him. It would do a lot of folks good today if we would quit trying to make people follow us and have them start following Jesus. Folks should not be following a pastor as if he were some type of deity. The pastor should be expecting the people that he's, that's under him that he's leading to follow Jesus. Look beyond Him. Look to Jesus. Look beyond me. Look to Jesus. Look beyond whoever it is that may be on television or on the radio and look to Jesus because it is He. It is He it is the one that writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. He is the one that forgives your sin. He is the one that makes everything happen in your life. And He is the one that leads you through the circumstances of life. It is important today that we understand how necessary it is that we identify with Jesus. First, we identify with his person. In verse 15, we see that this was he of whom I spake. That's what John the Baptist said. Those who believe, receive, and become the children of God, and those people will also give a witness of this person. They'll give a witness of Christ. That's what the Baptist done, John the Baptist. He gave a witness of Christ. When we really connect with Jesus, when we really fall in love with him, when we really are looking at him and believing in him, we become a witness of his. Our life itself becomes a witness of who Jesus is. Our life is a a light. We spoke in the last couple of weeks about a light, about our life being a light for other people. It sheds brightness into a dark world. We see this morning the bright sunshine, the warm temperatures, the dental breeze that's stirring, and we see there's plenty of light. But do you realize that when you go outside and you get into the world, it is full of darkness? It doesn't matter how pretty the sunshine is. It is full of darkness, full of ugly things. It is full of the devil trying to destroy people's lives. I read a quote by an old an old pastor. He's actually an old evangelist. He's been dead for many years. He died back in the 80s. His name was Vance Havner. And I can't quote him for certain on this or for exactly the way he said it, but Vance Havner said this in one of his meetings. The devil no longer has to move and has to ambush Christians. He just comes right into the church and sits right down beside them." You see, the devil's not afraid to sit down in a church house. The devil's not afraid to come in here in this meeting this morning and sit down among us and plant seeds of doubt. Coming around saying, yeah, I'll bet. What he's telling you, there's no proof of it. There's no evidence of it. The devil will try to plant seeds of doubt in the hearts and the lives of everyone. He plants seeds of doubt out here in the world in people's lives. Yes, there is evidence. There is evidence of Jesus Christ. There is evidence of the authority and the power of Christ. There is evidence of his person. And that evidence is in the believers who follow him. In one of the previous messages, I gave you a little rundown of all of the 12 apostles that followed Christ. 11 of them died by execution, torture. And John himself was... Tortured and was supposed to die, but he didn't. They could have all lived, and they could have all lived peacefully and happily if they would have just rejected Christ. But they couldn't do it. Every day around the world, a countless number of people are killed because they claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If Jesus were not real, do you think that folks would actually continue to hold on to him, knowing that their lives were going to be taken? There is something real in that relationship, that relationship itself is a bonding, binding relationship. It is a covenant and a commitment. And those folks who have it, they're not going to get rid of it. It's not going to be taken away from them. They will die for the person that, they, that is their Savior. They will die for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may find one or two people that are mentally ill and would die just because. the sense, the beginning since the first century, since Jesus died on the cross, how many tens of millions of people have been executed because they believe in Jesus and are still believing in him today? There is evidence in that witness. There is evidence in the lives of those people. There is evidence of his person in your life today if you are a believer in Christ. What about his preeminence? He that cometh after me is preferred before me. He existed before we did. He not only existed before John the Baptist, he existed before all of the Old Testament prophets. He existed before Moses. He existed before Abraham. He existed before Adam and Eve. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. His preeminence is a place of superiority. Not just in the lives of those that believe in Him, but do you realize Jesus is superior, has a place of superiority over everything in the world and everyone in the world? Whether they believe in Him or not. It is Jesus that continues by general grace, continues to keep doors and opportunities open for people to come to him. Jesus could very easily come out today and he could wipe the world clean of all the people who are not believers in him. And he could start and he can move and he could do whatever he wanted to do in the lives of people. But because of grace, because of that love that's in John 3, 16, He keeps giving and giving and giving. Now that giving is going to end one day. There is a time set aside when Christ will come and rapture His church and take it to heaven. And there is coming a time beyond that seven year tribulation when He will return with His church and reign a thousand years. And then there is a time after that thousand year reign when He will gather together All of those who believe and all of those who don't believe that are from that time. Those that don't believe he will cast into darkness. And then he will cast that darkness into hell where death and hell are. And then everyone else will be there with the church. There is coming a day when God will say enough is enough. And Jesus, Jesus will make his judgment. The preeminence of Christ is something that we have to face and we have to be aware of. Because that preeminence is also a preexistence. John says, for he was before me. And John gave witness of that preexistence. It is an absolute authority. I said, I used that word superiority earlier. It is also an authority. An authority that leads us and guides us. You come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's not going to treat you like a pet and put a leash around you and lead you around Jesus won't do that. You come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He will change your life by taking away your sin, forgiving you of that sin, and Jesus will love you. And because of that change in your life, you will want to follow Him. It will not be a have to. It's not something that you will have to want to change certain things in your life. I've talked to people before who love alcohol. They love to drink. Oh, well, preacher, I just don't want to accept Jesus because I don't want to give up my alcohol. I don't want to give up my pornography. I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. I want to hold on to it. Friend, if you give up Jesus, if you give up Jesus for all of that stuff, you're casting yourself into hell. But if you give up that stuff for Jesus, if you come to Jesus, then Jesus will change your want to. You will no longer want to go out and have those drinks. And you'll no longer want to be in the bars. You'll no longer want to be on those pornographic websites. You'll no longer want to be in all those other things. Your want to will change. That doesn't mean you won't have problems or you won't have, maybe have drawbacks. You won't have different times where you'll fail, but you'll always have that want to, to come back to the Christ that you know saved you. That is the superiority and the authority that Christ has in our life. When we fight against it, we make ourselves miserable. We make ourselves miserable because we know that we don't have a place in the world because the world doesn't want us because we belong to Jesus. And we know that Jesus isn't happy with us because we're not behaving and handling our life the way he's telling us to handle it. And because our want to is taking us to him, but we're pushing away from him. That's a picture of conviction that you hear spoken of so many times in people who have drifted away from God. It doesn't mean God's thrown them away. God doesn't throw his children away. But it does mean that he will chastise you. It does mean he will let you feel lonely. It does mean that he will make you aware that he wants you, you, to be back in his fold. He wants you back under his leadership. Divine love is experienced through Jesus' imputation. Imputation is when Jesus puts something upon you. When Jesus saves us, the Holy Spirit is imputed into our lives. The Holy Spirit takes up a code in our heart. The Holy Spirit moves and takes control. It is placed there permanently. It is a fullness, an inexhaustible supply of the attributes and the powers of God as needed in His sight. When you accept Jesus, He looks at you and He knows what you need. He knows what you need to follow Him. And He places that in your heart. It's there. It's just like a toolbox. It's just like a toolbox. God gives you the tools that you need to get through life, and everyone is different most every everyone will have the same kind of tools to an extent. Everyone will have prayer, everyone will have a desire to be in His word, everyone will have that relationship with Jesus. There'll be other tools. There'll be tools of administration and leadership and teaching and there'll be tools of music and worship and there'll be all kinds of other tools that will be there that will help you be the person that God is gifting you to be for His kingdom. And then there's grace for grace. It's each spiritual blessing that we get. Grace for grace. Picture it as building blocks. Building blocks like the children have, like the Legos the children have. One blessing is placed down. That blessing serves as a foundation for the next blessing to build upon. And then those two serve as a foundation for the next one to build upon. Grace upon grace is God growing in our heart and in our life and turning us and developing us and building us up to be be the person that he knows we can be. Finally, there is illumination. When we go through these last three, implementation, imputation, and identification, it all leads down to illumination. God illuminates our life with Jesus Christ. think of how important the saved person is to God, the Creator. Think of how important that person is when he uses them as an illumination for the darkened world that's around them. It's like being a light bulb in a cave. Just up 221 north is Linville Caverns. I guess you've all been in Linville Caverns at some point in time. If not, you should go. Because there's a beautiful illustration in there that I, I, I love to fall back on. They get you in the middle of this cave. And they're talking about pure darkness. And they turn the lights out. And they ask you to hold your hand up in front of your face. And they ask you to determine how close you are you can't see your hand in front of your face. You can bring it all the way in until you touch your nose with the palm of your hand and you still can't see your hand in most cases. Total darkness. Every time I read about sin and the darkness of sin in the Bible, I think about that time that I was in there and they done that. And I think about the spiritual darkness that people are in. And then they turn on the lights and those bulbs shine and they illuminate the cave and we can see to go in and out and around. That's what the Christian is in a world that is darkened by sin. When we are wandering around without Jesus in our heart and life, we are just as dark as we were and being standing in that cave with our hand in front of us. We had no idea where we were. We had no idea where the person was in front of us or behind us. We had no idea how close our hand was in front of our face. That's a picture of what sin does in a person's life. But the child of God Who who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are that illumination. They are that light bulb. They are that light bulb. That shines Christ into their life. That's who God wants you to be. For Him. He is going to gift you. He is going to prepare you. He is going to strengthen you. He is going to help you with the faith that you need to move through all of this and to move through the darkness. But in the end, He's going to look to you to be that illuminary, to be that light that shines the way for others to come to know Jesus. So as I close this morning, there is a question that remains to be answered. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? You and Jesus know that answer. Have you been called to experience the divine love of Christ? If so, you know if you've called on Him as your Lord and Savior before. If you have, you know where He wants you to be today as far as in your relationship with Him. So does He lead you? Does He guide you? Does He direct you? Does He have your name written in His book of life? Is He calling you to come to Him this morning? This morning, if you have any business to do with God, I would pray that you would do it as we close, or stay afterwards, and I'll be glad to talk with you and answer any questions you've got. This morning, would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for the opportunity of coming into these ladies' home and sharing this message and sharing your word with them. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would touch hearts and lives, and I pray that you would direct these ladies to the place of service that you would have them to be, that you have prepared for them to be. Lord, we thank you for those that you have moved and placed in their homes. And God, we pray that you'll continue to do a work in their life too, that they will find a church home. And Lord, that they will stay in that church home and they will thrive there in your service. Lord, if there's one today that needs To come to you as Lord and Savior. If there's one today that needs a closer walk with you. I pray that they will find that. Before it's eternally too late. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.